Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Another day down at the 2022 World Cup, and six of the eight quarterfinalists are now set here in Qatar. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sevi Salazar. Herc, as always, a pleasure to be with you. Uh, what you wearing there? Oh, you know, El Femenano. Wow. Why am I so low? I feel very Sebi Salazar. Oh, there it is. Not even there. shorter. Uh, I got the, uh, the beautiful kit here from our guy, uh, Gabaldon Art. Check him out on Instagram. He's a big fan of the show. Oh, yeah. Look at that. He sent you that? Yeah, he's, uh, he's made some cool sketches of uh, Football Americas, too. So maybe we'll have to uh, commission a piece. He sent you that? Look at that. Look at that. Where's mine? Well, dude, you know, the people love me. Herc, what can I say? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. A ver, a ver, a ver, mira. Wow, what a beauty. What a beauty. So we had some fitness issues on yesterday's show. You, you had some fitness issues. Have you had a good stretch? You, you, you had a time to, to get yourself right? I don't work out, so I'm fine. Wow, look at that. <laughs> I um, tell You're the guy who's always active and doing things, and well, I don't know why you're out here playing football against people way above your level, trying to punch above your weight. Like you're <laughs> well, to be fair, it's not very hard to punch above my weight. There's all, all, uh, all 40 kilos. Yes, there's not, not much uh, meat on these bones. All right, uh, so we got a lot coming up in today's show. We're going to recap today's action, of course. Brazil, South Korea, which just wrapped up. Going to be talking Japan and Croatia as well, which went to penalty kicks. Fun segment coming up in about uh, 10, 15 minutes. Julian Laurent, Nada Manu are going to stop by. So that's England versus France. We'll be previewing that quarterfinal, which, uh, of course, is coming up on Saturday. And as always here on Football Americas, we will be taking your questions here towards the end of the show. But yes, why don't we kick off me. with something... I got to get it. That we actually heard discussed on yesterday's show. Those who saw the show yesterday will remember that we brought you a letter from Tata Martino. Of course, this was part of an exercise by our colleagues over at ESPN Deportes. They spent some time with the Mexican national team in the immediate buildup to the World Cup. And they had each player, and Martino as well, fill out a letter to themselves that they would then be able to read afterwards. We showed you Tata's letter last night. It got me fired up. It got you fired up. Now we have in our possession whose letter? Edson Alvarez. Edson Alvarez. All right, uh, Herc, you've got it in your hands. Why don't you read it? And we'll do a quick translation. Who I have called the best defensive midfielder in all of CONCACAF. Yes. High praise considering the other defensive midfielders like Tyler Adams. Yeah, well, let's see if I still feel the same way after this World Uh, Cup. Or after this letter. (laughs) Or after this letter. Wow, this is so dramatic. This is like the reveal. Who's going to host the next World Cup? And he, he writes it in big letters. Okay, okay, I like that. Quédate tranquilo que lucharon y se entregaron hasta el final. Mm. Nunca renuncies. Okay, and so quick. he signs it, number four. Yep, show him. So the quick translation there is uh, keep calm, don't worry, don't stress. You fought and gave it your all until the very end. Never give up. So this has caused a lot of controversy with our colleagues over on ESPN Deportes. What's your interpretation of it? Because I feel like with each of these letters, a lot of this is left ultimately to the interpretation of the person reading Can I be honest? Yeah. I'm really interested in your opinion on this. Like, really. Because it's funny. Everybody has a different interpretation of of these letters. Yeah. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the production meeting, but I got the sense like you were itching. So I'm really curious here. Well, I actually disagree kind of with what I felt like was the general consensus on ESPN Deportes, which is that this is a defeatist attitude, right? That, That he was effectively before the World Cup preparing for a bad World Cup. I think it's a player who is putting down what he knows of himself. So as to say, whatever happens in this World Cup, I'm proud of you, me, right? He's writing it to himself, for never giving up, for giving it your all, and for fighting till the very end. I, I think that's really what I'm seeing. What, what are you seeing, and, and what have our colleagues over on ESPN Deportes made of it? Because there, there is some uh, well, anger our co- about our it. Our colleagues over at ESPN Deportes. They're killing them for it. It's a very defeatist yes. mentality. That's the right word, right? Defeatist. To, yes. To, the mentality is like you're already going in. Mm-hmm. expecting travesty, expecting a failure. To be quite honest, with the context surrounding Edson Alvarez, uh-huh. I get the notion for the Mexican national team of us versus them, them being the press. They really feel like the press and the public, the fans, are against them. We've heard it throughout World Cup qualifying. Mm-hmm. Hector Herrera, el Estadio Azteca ya no pesa. La gente no nos ayuda. You know, Estadio Azteca is no longer this fortress. Yep. The people don't help us. 
It's this us versus them mentality. And I think this is him saying in his mind, don't worry about them. Forget them. Hmm. Get the tranquilo. You stay calm. You stay true to yourself. You gave it your all. He knew. He knew that no matter what would happen, there would be this type of response against, against him, against Tata Martino, against the Mexican national team. What I don't think he knew, and this is where I'm going to give him a little credit, is that a player before the World Cup who was going around $50 million for Chelsea, mm -hmm. Manchester United was also a target with Eric Ten Hag, an ex-coach of his. No, not a rumor. It was an actual bid, producer. <laughs> this, this. I'm glad I'm not the bad guy for once. This right here. <laughs> This right here tells me he had no idea of the way he would be blindsided by Tata Martino. Mm. That's interesting. So you're saying the us versus them, and you're painting the them as the Mexican public and press. Fans and press. I don't want to say public, say fans, okay? Because you have to be very specific. Okay. Okay. I guess when I say public, I mean soccer no, no, fans, no, right? No, not these guys. These guys mean their fans. They're hardcore fans who come to the games. So it's not public. They're not talking about the casuals. They're talking about the people who pay that money to come see them in Estadio Azteca. So we want to make that very clear because there's a clear division to those guys. There's a clear line that's been drawn. Us, them. So the more I think about it, because let's go down this defeatist route, that, that interpretation. I'm actually thinking that them might not be outside. It might be inside. And it may be very pointedly at Tata Martino. Because if it is defeatist, as you say, is he foreseeing the failure of the national team as a whole? What did we hear in the build-up to this from Tata explain Martino? That specifically? Sorry, explain that one more time. The, the them is you saying he's including Tata Martino? Yeah, and let me get to it. Okay. Right? So before the tournament, we hear from Tata Martino that this negativity that exists around the Mexican national team, I think the exact you know interpretation of it was it's from the locker room doors outward, right. not necessarily right. inward. Right. I'm wondering if there's a combination here for Edson, if, if we are going down the route of defeatism, that one he did, and maybe others within that locker room did actually sense that the wheels were coming off the wagon before this thing. And specifically, what was talked about a lot in the build-up to the World Cup, and I actually on this show kind of laughed at your suggestion of it, which was clearly wrong. I, I see that now. That My Ed's, suggestion? Yeah, no, or no, laughing. me laughing at your suggestion. What was it? <laughs> that Edson would not be an obvious starter for this team because those that idea started to percolate maybe a month was out. Wasn't my suggestion. No, 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 no. Right. But a month out of the World Cup, we started to hear these rumors that Tata Martino yeah. might consider a lineup where Edson Alvarez wasn't a starter. And so I wonder if he's thinking, and again, let's put into the context who Edson is. He's a guy who has gone on camera and said, I wanted to go to Chelsea. So he thinks he's that player, whether other people think that or not. And then all of a sudden, with a month leading into what is his World Cup, his right? World Cup. His World his Cup. World Cup. The, the rumors, the talk around it is this guy's not even going to be starting for his national team. I think maybe if we are seeing it as defeatist, he was sensing some of that and saying, hey, the them is maybe some of it, to your point, outside the locker room. There's also a them inside this locker room who's about to turn on me. Can I give you some more context there? 2018 was not a very good World Cup for Edson Alvarez. I understand he was young. Yeah, and he played out of position. And he played out of position, yep. okay? But he had, he had a, la espinita clavada. He had that like. Yes. When you have a bad World Cup and you get another shot, redemption. Yeah, he had that redemption yeah. he wanted to get going mm -hmm. this World Cup. There was one game circled on that calendar. He knew the world would be watching. Of course. Argentina. Of course. He doesn't get that game. This is why I'm saying he, I thought he was blindsided. Even though yeah. the talk was about, hey, they're seriously considering not playing Edson yeah. and playing more of a ball-handling midfielder. Never, yeah. never did we think it would be against Argentina. We assumed that would be against Poland. We assumed that might be against Saudi Arabia, but never against Argentina. You needed that, you needed that six there. You need that D-mid. You need that guy who's of a rock protecting that back line. That wasn't the case. So this, to me, not only do I feel he sensed it, but I also feel it's like his way of saying, it's not your fault. Right. It's out of your hands. And and if he wanted, like, if he wanted the move to Chelsea or Manchester United or whatever that next big move, there was no better showcase game than Argentina. 
And I mentioned this before on the show, I had a conversation with Mauricio Emay, our colleague over at ESPN Deportes, who saw the practices immediately after the Argentina match and said, Edson, along with Jorge Sanchez, who didn't play against Argentina, were off to the side, you know, kind of moping. Really quickly, if you had been asked to do this, would you have written honestly knowing that the world would see it? Because I think, you know, I I don't keep a journal or a diary. I kind of wish I did. But if it's only for you, you write something. When it's for everybody else, do you you write for that audience and, and then... Do we always have to take these kind of with a grain of salt? <laughs> if it's be overly honest. optimistic, take it with a grain of okay. salt. But okay. but knowing that you're at such a large network mm-hmm. like ESPN, yeah. and the whole world would see this. It's going to color how you Millions write. and millions of people in our international television in Mexico, mm-hmm. in, in the United States, in Central America, are going to see what you put down, which you can't. What you can't do is, one, take the making, just put anything down, and mm-hmm. two, come out with a defeatist mentality or defeatist kind of anything that would that could be interpreted, interpreted that defeatist. way. You have yeah. to go, oh, you have to be over the top to make your intentions clear. And we're finding that a lot of times with these players, it's not. So maybe they're really putting down what they feel. And that is, man, leading into the biggest moment of your life, that is crazy to me that you would come in with this type of attitude. So Edson wrote that before the World Cup. We are now starting to hear from Mexican internationals after the World Cup. Let's listen in now to some very interesting comments from Jesus Gallardo. Y como te digo, son muchísimas cosas que tienen que cambiar, muchas cosas que hay que mejorar en el fútbol mexicano, en todos, eh, y no solamente eh, los directivos, sino como te digo también los jugadores, a veces también cambiar muchas cosas, la manera de ver el fútbol, la manera de, de jugar los partidos aquí en la liga, eh, como te digo, a veces nos relajamos, entonces creo que no solo es cambiar ellos, sino también cambiar nosotros los jugadores para eh, todos los partidos, jugarlos al 100% y estar, eh, no sé, concentrados para que podamos, eh, tengamos más oportunidades de salir a Europa. Bueno, creo que depende de uno, la verdad, creo que si uno eh, a veces quiere salir a Europa, creo que a veces igual hay varios casos que se ha tocado pelear con los directivos o no sé, para que se puedan ir a, a Europa, porque a veces es el sueño de un jugador ir para allá a, a, a tener esa bonita experiencia que es jugar en Europa, obviamente para competir en el máximo nivel como se dice, pero también creo que depende de uno estar al 100% aquí en la liga, hacer las cosas bien, a veces uno... En la liga, no sé, como que se relaja eh, y no da su 100%, pero a veces creo que también depende uno de uno que dé su 100% en cada partido, en cada, en cada juego que le toca aquí en la Liga MX para que no se relaje y, y pues, tenga muchas oportunidades para poder salir a Europa. Okay, Herc. Something, nothing, or everything. Gallardo's comments, specifically for me, what's most interesting is the relaxed comments about play in Liga MX. What do you make of it? Listen, it's obviously something, but it's something we already knew. Like, he's not telling us anything we didn't know. It's coming to light right now, or people are making more of a deal of it than, than they normally would because it's coming off of a, a fracaso. Right. Do you think it's the level... Like out of those 28 years old. Yeah, do you think the level in Liga Mekis is too relaxed? Of course it is. Yeah, why specifically? It and it's not, it's not as relaxed off the field, because you can get... Crushed in the press. Yes, of course. Okay. La exigencia, the, the expectations of the people in but, the press is high. But when you talk about being laxed, how many teams can qualify for playoffs? 12 of 18, 12 two of thirds 18. of the league. It's so a joke. So you can throw away over half the season right. and still go in. And now you're going to say, well, that's the same play, pace, or excuse me, uh, thing in other places like Major mm-hmm. League Soccer. I'm not trying to tell you Major League Soccer is yeah, a and barometer. And we, we talk about that all the time with MLS right, that the, right. the, there are so many games that don't have that urgency. And he talks about how relaxed it can be. The reality is in Mexican football, with the amount of foreign players that mm-hmm. are in Mexican football, Mexican players of quality are very valuable. Right. Like they're going to make a lot of money and sometimes not to play. So Jesus Gallardo, the same Jesus Gallardo who spent half the season riding the bench with Monterrey. Yeah. The same Jesus Gallardo who wasn't playing well for the majority of the cycle, who I think actually had a very good World Cup for him. Right. Like, I thought he was for one of the better... For your pre-tournament expectations. One of the better players for Mexico. Doesn't mean that he had a great World Cup, but I yeah, think he was one of the better players for Mexico. This is what you've been breeding in. This is, this is what you've been training in. This is the atmosphere you've been... There's not a better example of kind of the point that Gallardo's making than Gallardo himself. Right. He lost his job at yes. club level and kept his spot in the national team. And that's more about the national team than Liga Mekis. And not only did he lose his... <laughs> this is the crazy thing. 
you could say, well, he lost his club. He could lost his position at the club level to a, a foreign player who's no. just a better player. He no, lost it was to a Mexican Aguirre. kid. Yeah, yeah. It was another Mexican player. So you've got to take what he's saying with a grain of salt. But there is a lot of truth to it. Right. And it, but it's not something that we are now coming to discover. Listen, Alexis Vega is a great player. Very good player. Interesting traits. How old is he? 25, 24. 24, 20, 25. Yeah. At that age, you should already be in Europe. Of course, if you're a real And that's what talent. I think Gallardo's trying to get at. Right. It's hard for these players to go to Europe. Well, I understand that the clubs make it very difficult on you, but you also make it very difficult on you. The player also makes it very difficult on you. Until the Mexican players realize, or until the Mexican, I guess, just environment realizes, the federation, that the best players are in Europe and you need to be with those players in order to get better, you're just going to keep seeing more of this. We talk about the complacency. It's down to 12 of 18 going to the playoffs. We've also talked about it. There is no more relegation, so there's not that urgency right. for teams um, at the bottom of the table. Uh, before we move on to the U.S., just real quickly here for some context. We, we are calling this the worst World Cup for Mexico of the modern era. Yeah, It's basically... You know, until you go back to the 90s, 1998, every single player on the roster was Liga Mekis with the exception of Jorge Campos. 2022, there are 16 Liga Mekis players of the 26. I'll, I'll make it 17 because Achiach in MLS right. kind of feels the Transition same. Transition year, sure. Last, last time around, 2018, only nine Liga Mekis players. 2014, 15 of the 23 were Liga Mekis, but eight were in Europe, and those eight were clear starters, right? So... I think there's a there's a point to be made there. When you lean on a domestic league, as this roster clearly was built off the domestic league, and the domestic league is lacking at least on-field exigencia, demand, the level drops. And I think we see that reflected in the performance, again, what very much feels like the worst performance for Mexico uh, in the modern era. We're going back to 1994. All right, let's... Uh, Change topics, and we'll talk about the U.S. men's national team, who are now, what, 48 hours removed from the game against the Dutch that saw them bounced in the round of 16. Specifically, we're focused on the work of Matt Turner, who started all four games here at the World Cup. Had two clean sheets, one against England, one against Iran. He conceded zero goals from the run of play during the group stage. The only goal, of course, that penalty against Wales and Gareth Bale. He did concede three against Netherlands. Did make four saves against the Dutch, though, in that 3-1 defeat. All right, Herc, so there were questions ahead of the World Cup as to who the U.S. number one was. Did Matt Turner answer those questions? Is he now the no-doubt number one for this U.S. team moving forward? You know, I've been very critical of Greg Berhalter mm -hmm. for the performance consideration. For everything. No, I gave him a lot of credit in the group phase. Okay. But I've been very critical of Greg Berhalter. And the majority of his tenure with the U.S. men's national team. There are few things that I've given him a lot of credit for. His work with dual nationals, mm -hmm. his ability to only play with young players, getting a lot of those players, older players, uh, out of that locker room, and, and really... The rejuvenation of the national yeah, team. Yeah, having confidence in those players. There's one thing that I have to give him a lot of credit for. Do you know I'm a huge believer in Zach Steffen? I thought Zach Steffen was the number one goalkeeper for this U.S. men's national team. But the, the decision to leave... Zach Steffen off of this mm. roster solidified Matt Turner mentally, gave right. him that peace of mind because Matt Turner was on this very program and Matt Turner said, listen, the most important games, Mexico in Cincinnati, Mexico away, Costa Rica. Greg Berhalter went with Zach Steffen. Mm. He made it very clear to me by his actions. So Greg Berhalter leaving Zach Steffen off of this roster I feel gave Matt Turner the peace of mind to know that he was the clear number one. And Matt Turner responded. Yeah. So Burhalter actually used the word with us, hierarchy, in terms of the goalie position that he, he felt like he had a nice hierarchy. That was, for us, very much, if you read between the lines, he says, I don't want Matt Turner or anybody else on this team to have doubts. And then when you put further context on it, which is the, the long-standing relationship, not just with the national team, but going back to Columbus Crew days, yeah. between Burhalter and Stefan, that must have been just a an awful decision to take on a, on a personal level. So I think it is very much a big decision that Berhalter takes, one that not only we have to give him credit for because it was tough, but because um, in the end it works out. Do you think Turner is going to be the starter in 2026, or do you see either one of the guys that was on this roster, we'll throw Zach Steffen in competing, or maybe even like a Gaga Slonina, or you feel pretty confident about Turner? And 
I'll follow that up with this. Zach Steffen lost his stranglehold on the number one spot because he wasn't playing every week. If we look at Matt Turner's situation, barring injury, you don't really see him. I, I don't want to say ever, but it's unlikely he would become the number one at Arsenal. It is unlikely. Um, he's earned the right to be the number one right now to lose that. It's his to lose. Okay. I don't see anybody on this roster overtaking him. Okay. On this current World Cup crop overtaking him. Gaga Slonin is a very interesting player. Yep. A very interesting situation. We've seen what, it, what can happen to players who go to Chelsea at an early age and maybe get loaned out elsewhere and mm -hmm. things don't pan out for him. He's got a huge ceiling. He can be that guy. But right now, this is Matt Turner's to lose. But if anybody could take it away for 2026, it is Gaga Slonin because of that ceiling. Gaga Slonin will be... 22? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. In 2026? Yes. Is that too young for like a number one goalie with the U.S.? I mean, look at these players who don't, were in this World Cup. Yeah, but who have played and did well in this World Cup. Don't like, we? Don't we just had say, himself a nice tournament. How old is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He but goalies. In the don't you? Is, is, is experience I mean, val more valuable at the goalie position? How much does Matt Turner have in terms of experience? Well, a lot more than Gagas Lanina does. Uh, and by 2026, he'll have a whole level? lot more, right? You know, I, I'm going to sit here and repeat that this is a young man's game. And I know that it doesn't, even a, even I know that doesn't apply okay. to the goalkeeper per yep. se because physically that's not what we're talking about. But there's something to be said about giving your goalkeeper confidence. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the age is. And we, we, we talk about being naive in a good way and in a, in a bad way, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. It could be a situation where Gagas Lina has the talent it could be a great situation for him. I think he's taking his lumps right now. And he, right. May, take him, he may take him at the international level as well. Yeah. But it is part of the process. Yeah, I mean, in bottom line, if somehow in three or four years he's played himself into a starting job at Chelsea, it's going to be hard for anybody, Matt Turner included, to, to keep him off the field, right? I, I think anybody. That's, that's pretty obvious. So we've talked about Matt Turner. Uh, how does he compare to the other goalies that we've seen from CONCACAF throughout the World Cup? Well, some great work from our statistics how department here. How does this work, here. Seb? How does this work? Listen, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I am not a math major. Uh, but what I can tell you is that does not look good for Keylor Navas. But 11 goals conceded. Uh, and Matt Turner, Herc, by far uh, the best save percentage uh, of the bunch. So credit to the American number one there. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, it's the quarterfinal everybody's talking about. England versus France set to go down next Saturday. The odds makers have France as your favorites. However, the computers tell a very different story. The SPI is saying England are your favorites. Who better to uh, help us break this down than a couple colleagues who have become much more than that <laughs> over the last week. Sentimental he's getting. Manua yeah, and Julian Laurent. You see them all the time on ESPN FC. Oh, we yeah. brought them gifts here on Football Americas. Scars that they, I'm sh sure, will proudly wear uh, throughout Doha. And uh, guys, Sebi to sign that for you before you. Great leave. to have you here on the show, man. Thank you. Finally, what a, what to get an invitation. Thank you. I've been waiting three before, weeks. No? He must have been on before. He's been on actually five years ago when Andre yes. Pierre Gignac signed for Tigres. That's right. It was, oh, that was uh, we were doing a. <laughs> Right. Tovan, have right? you been on Gavin Jules? No, I have not. Have you been on Gavin Jules? Oh, there we no, go. No, no, there no, no, it is. You've sure been on it. Yeah, I've, I've been on just a week ago, I think it was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's good. Third time's a charm now. So there it is. <laughs> um, all right, so we just saw there's some debate there between the computers yep. and the odds makers, right? So who's the favorite for you, Jules? France or England? <laughs> 
I, I think the, the easy answer is 50-50, but I still think this England team has a slight edge over the French simply because the danger can come from everywhere. Whereas France, which is not a bad thing, that's not what I'm saying, but is very dependent on Kylian Mbappe and his talent. And I think that dependence on Mbappe could work fine and there's no problem, but the day is on... He's, got, he's having an off day. I'm not sure how the rest of the team reacts. Does he have off days? Yeah, I mean, he's got five goals to assist right now. Yeah, but there, there will be a point where he will have an off day. I, I don't know if he can win this on his own pretty much. However, for England, you've got Saka, you've got Ken, you've got Foden, you've got Bellingham. He can come from everywhere, more than the French. That's why I give them like a 55 to 45 chance. Really? For, who, for England? Yeah. Is he hedging well. his bets here? <laughs> you know, it's the emotional one. You uh -huh. try and say, well, this is my opinion, but if it's wrong, I'm more than happy to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no! He's going the emotional hedge yeah. is true. It's I'm true. objective. That's no, how, well, that's I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I, I, do, um, I do like it because I think it's, it's sort of being fair. I think there's some people who don't like England, but he's actually calling what he's seen as opposed to what he kind of feels. Mm -hmm. But then the opposite is also true for people in England who are very down on their team, like, oh, but France, they're going to do this. But I think when they look at France, they're more so playing the brand name as opposed to the team that's there now. We all know Mbappe is one of the best players in the yeah. world, and he's a huge threat. But man for man, if you were to do like a best or like a combined 11, mm -hmm. it's probably not going as much France as say some people would think, because they are a good side, but so are England, like Jules has just said. Yeah. All right, well, England's a very good side, and they're very yeah. deep. Like that's probably, They're probably the deepest team in this competition. But I also saw them struggle. I mean, Iran crossed the field three times they scored twice against the U.S. I saw the U.S. really take it to this English team uh, and, and almost make them pay for it. Against Senegal, if not for Pickford, you're talking 0-2 before the 32nd minute. So you're saying he did his job? Pickford did. But what I'm, what I'm telling you is it's a very deep team, but they have their weaknesses too. Yeah. And, uh, you were saying, Kylian Mbappe, a lot rides on him, but he can surely make this English team pay. Yeah, the only, the only problem is there will be an anti-Mbappe plan. Whether that's Walker on his own, whether you put Stones with that, whether you put Saka or Henderson or whoever, or the, them three together, there will be something to, to block him and to stop him, which is fine, absolutely fine. And he might be good enough to still, even against the plan against him, manage to score another goal or do something special. The, the problem is... I think the others are too reliant, too reliant, yeah. reliant yeah, relax, on him yeah. in the sense that, and we saw it, but there was something that Deschamps said to the boys before the game against, uh, against Poland. He said, give the ball to Kylian. The instruction is very much give him the ball, give him the ball all the time. You have the ball, give him the ball. So whether you're Upamecano or Kunde or Rabio or Dembele, the ball has to go to Kylian, which I think at some point could be counterproductive. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I, I know where you're coming from. But then he's obviously one of the best players in the world, so you kind of do want to get it to him. Yeah. Right. But, it, you know, in regards to the story you had about, say, England playing in this and doing that, struggling against this team and that team, I think one thing to note is that those teams aren't still here anymore. So they've still managed to get past them in whatever way that they've, that they've done it. And I think they have, did have a poor performance within there, but there were positives that came within it. Like in the USA game, I thought defensively they ended up being quite good. I think in the Iran game, they did concede those two goals, but they did score six. So for every negative, you can find a positive. And depending on your perspective, you, know, you, you get to pick and choose which one matters the most to you. It sounds like you're saying that there's some pessimism back in England. Oh, a thousand percent. Around this. <laughs> yeah. What about in France? It's the defending World Cup champions. Do they see this? Do, do your colleagues, do the people back home in France, do they see France's clear favorites here? Or is there some shared pessimism on that side? No, there's no pessimism on our side. Uh, they, they're not too scared about England because there's, there's Mbappe. Right. And again, all the chat today on French radio, for example, was like, oh, are the English scared of Kylian? This is all, all they cared about was, are they scared of Killian? How much are they scared of Killian? And do you think they can stop Killian? This is all, and this is going to be like that until Saturday. Uh, what kind of plan do they have against Killian? What are they going to do against Killian? This is it. And, and I think the French believe right now, and maybe rightly so, like the Argentine believe with Messi, that just nothing can happen to us because Killian is there. So, go ahead. I was just saying, my only worry for the French is we saw them in group play. They played a very underwhelming Australia, they played a very underwhelming Denmark team. That was supposed to be a, a favorite for a many. Dark a dark horse, horse right? that that ended up not being that. Uh, they rested player players against Tunisia, so let's take that one out. But then they play against Poland, that was easily, for my money, the second worst European team here in this competition. So, has the competition been good enough to really test France? Is my only worry. No, I think you're right. I think if you take Upamecano, for example, who has had a good season with Bayern, who is very promising, and his partnership with Varane could be very interesting because they complement each other well and I think he benefits from the experience from Varane and Varane benefits from the legs and the pace and the, the, the solidness of, of Upamecano. 
But then Lewandowski was easy to defend against the other night, yeah. and so was Zielinski. And Hurricane would be a completely different kind of guy to defend on because he drops all the time, because he's so intelligent and so clever that you, do I go, do I stay? And I think they would have to be on their toes. So you're right. I think if you look at the fullbacks, which is probably the biggest weakness that we have right now, Kunde, especially Kunde on the right-hand side, Theo on the left is different because he's so attacking-minded that it might actually be useful against Saka because right. he might pin Saka down yeah. because Saka will have to follow him everywhere. But for Kunde, I'm worried. And then for Pamecano and Varane, I don't know how they will defend on Kane and how effective they can be on Kane. Mm. Um, I want to get into some of the specific matchups, but where do you think England can hurt France? I think it's what he said, you know, spending lots of time with Julian, you get an understanding of the French team and sort of the way that he feels about it. Because from, you know, from an English perspective, people say France are the best thing that's ever existed ever, but they haven't also watched the games. But it's like, oh, you know, they're great. <laughs> you know, what, oh, what's great about them? Well, you know, the way that they do the thing and like, they don't know what they're talking <laughs> right. about. It's Mbappe. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. Mbappe. That's the obvious thing. But Julian, he sort of explains it more and you look for it more and you start to see some of the weaknesses. And I think there are lots of sides within this who aren't perfect. But it's just a case of, you know, on a particular day, how do the matchups work, whether it's individual ones or collective? And I think that's going to be the big difference when you go out into the knockout rounds like this. Who are you taking, Seb? You're taking Chouameni, Rabio, and Griezmann? Are you taking Bellingham, Rice? You're taking... It's a tough one. And to your point... Because that midfield, to me, I think is, is the key there. Well, to yeah. your point about the best 11, like, Bellingham, to me, is the only one that's... A, there's a gap. That he's, like, an obvious... If you're doing a combined 11, he's obvious. Are the, are the other midfielders, like, take your choice, right? They're all, they're all pretty much the same level. I think Rice for me is world class. I have to say, so for you, me, the Rice Bellingham partnership is really yeah. So two absolutely. of the three then yeah. are all three. You know, two of the three are English. Yeah. If we're doing a best eleven in the midfield, yeah. and wow. then I've got either Rabiot or Griezmann to, to Rabiot's bring in. been playing. He's very got Jordan well. Henderson because yeah. they're brothers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. That's right. fine. I pick my brothers too when of we course, do combine eleven. Of course, and you pick Senegal as well, didn't you? But we yeah, don't yeah, need to get into that. Yeah, yeah, because my boys play that, so it's fine. It's fine. The thing with Griezmann and it's one of the other keys is that this is a new position for him that number eight mm -hmm. he's been doing really really well against kind of weaker opposition can he influence the game against England against that midfield the way that he did against Denmark the way he did against Poland he won't have the same freedom will he still be able to play one touch two touches there what do you mean he won't have the game? same freedom what do you mean by that because I think that I would I would expect Southgate and the, 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 the staff and the team to have seen that he's such a key player for us mm -hmm. and I think for 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 Poland, for example, I think Krikowiak at his age just could not keep up, could not follow everywhere. Okay. And we watched him the other day with Nadam and we were fascinated by the movement and the intelligence that he has, as well as the, the work rate and the touch, etc. He's clearing but balls out of the box. He's a different player for yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's completely different players. And, and I, love, I love what Rabiot has been doing because he compensates for Kylian so much. He's got such a key role to play in that team because Kylian never defends. So yeah. Rabiot has to come and do that job and on top of everything else. And he's been great. So... I don't know who be my third be, but maybe maybe Rabiot. Yep. All right, let's let's do a comparison here. Uh, we talked about this on Revista Mundialista last night. One of the things that might define this match is the goalie position. Joris mm. Pickford. They're both. I feel like they have a catastrophe in them. You're really them. low on both. I'm not as low on both. Okay, that's fair enough. We have that discussion. Which goalie makes you more nervous? If you can take off you your go first. For, you for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, who do you have I more confidence? If you had to pick a team to win a game, who are you going with? I think they do things differently. I think Pickford might make a mistake with his feet. Uh -huh. Whereas I think Lloris might make a mistake with his hands, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think I could see Lloris conceding like a really weird goal where sometimes you think he's going to save it and save it well, but he might not necessarily do that. Whereas for Pickford, he's going to, at worst, overplay. He's going to try and do something he shouldn't do and put more pressure on his team or make the wrong decision that way. But in terms of shot stopping and stuff, like, I just, I think I prefer Pickford. Okay. But then you look at Lloris, he's, he's lifted the World Cup. You know, he's been very successful with France. So he's clearly got something and they do trust him. But I don't think everyone is as confident in Lloris as say people would think, if you know what I mean. What's the vibe back in France on, on Lloris? Um, there's a lot of respect in this game, which is, I think, the destiny is there somewhere because he's going to beat the record of the most cap player in French football history against England, where he's been playing for 10 yeah. years, where his children, well, two of the three children were born. Oh, yeah, there we go. The English and my boy, he's yeah. my boy, so I'm, okay. I'm going to pick the experience, of course, right. and my boy. English, who kid watches English kids as well, yeah? You? You've got English kids as well? Uh, yeah, born in London. So you want them to play for England in the future, yeah? Uh, uh, I want now we're really getting... I want them to win the World Cup, so they've got... Oh, there oh, we go! 
I'm here all week. There we go. I am here all week. Okay, so we've played football together a, a little bit. You're an attacking player. You're very much a defender. I'm a two-way player. You're, okay, you're, but very I much. I love that expression. <laughs> your professional career was spent uh, as a defender. Yeah. So how do you approach dealing with Mbappe? So I think in terms of Mbappe, if he's at his best, the matchup is, is not impossible, but it's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And you, so you try and make it as hard as possible because he's quicker than most people. He has the skill to be able to manipulate the ball. He's a great finisher. But the thing that makes him even harder to play against is when he gets support from maybe Guizman going across, maybe Hernandez coming across to support, maybe Corabio coming across. So you need to try and figure out with your team to make sure that Firstly, nobody's isolated with him, but the worst case scenario should, should be that somehow there's now two of you one against them. Like, can you go and support him as a midfielder? Really try and put him off. But then I think in fairness to uh, Mbappe, he's very good at looking for one-twos and things like that, but they might not necessarily come from uh, Giroud in the middle. So I, for me, I think you try and make him predictable. You don't try and encourage him to sort of have space to run in behind. And you don't say like, in fairness, Kyle Walker, for as good as he is, I've seen times where he wants someone to race him in this instance. Don't encourage the right. race. Just <laughs> do not do it. Like you might do well nine times, but on that tenth time, that could be the difference between being in the semifinals and just losing in the quarters. Jules, do you see this more as a matchup of a Kyle Walker versus Killian Mbappe? Or do you see more Killian looking at the center back, saying, "I, I could exploit this." So this is, this is very interesting, and I wonder if Deschamps might try to tweak something. But he comes, he he, he starts on the left so much that he will have to go past Walker first before before getting to Stones, even. I don't, I don't see him really coming inside to be facing either Maguire or Stones. So he will be Walker first. And we were talking about Matikash. Matikash had a good game against Kylian. Yeah. He had a good game. Yeah. And Kylian scored two and assisted one. So this is, this, is what, this is, I think, what as a defender you must face. And you're thinking like, okay, I know. And I think if, if Walker defends on his own against Kylian, he might have 90% of a very good game. But the 10% where <laughs> he's maybe not so good, Kylian will score two. Matty yeah. Cash got a nice collection yeah. of jerseys right now. <laughs> Yeah, true. Who has the edge in the technical area, France or England? I think I think in a game like this, Deschamps has to be the pick because of the experience, because of the fact that he's been there before, because that he's won those big games. And Southgate has won some, but has also lost a semi-final of the World Cup, mm -hmm. a final of the Euros. Deschamps lost the final of the Euros too, to be fair. Yeah. But I would still go for the experience. Yeah, I would go with Deschamps, but I think Deschamps would be better if he had England's bench. I think yeah, for sure. Southgate, he has more the options on there. Yeah. And in regards to the way England play, one thing they're doing differently in this tournament is they play with a back four, but they're also very comfortable going to a back three or turning into a back five. So if they're winning, they could revert to that. And if they're losing, they can bring on some of the best talent that's at this World Cup still that somehow isn't starting in the game. What are the knocks against Southgate as a manager back home for you? Uh, just everything. Everybody hates him, hates suits, <laughs> hates the way he speaks, you know, hates the teams that he picks. So aside from that, no, nothing. Um, I think a lot of people believe that his football's too conservative. But I think there's a sort of sense of privilege that exists within English media, which I think misses the point because for many, many people alive, they weren't really around that watching them take a real keen interest and speak about it. They weren't around in 1966 when they won the World mm -hmm. Cup. Yet still, they speak as if that's something that should be expected every four years. But Southgate's delivered, a, well, delivered a semi-final appearance at a World Cup, which brings a lot of hope. And they've delivered a final in the European Championships. And whether they played against this team, that team, and so on and so forth, teams gone by for England hadn't made it there before. So now that they're there, surely that means he's successful. Yet still, for some people, say, yeah, but I want to see, I want to see five goals, I want to see six goals. What about just winning football? Nathan, we use the word fracaso a lot here on this show, which means failure. Yeah. Would it be a failure for England to lose to this English team in this round? So uh, the French team, um, it depends how they do it. I think because some people now live and die by style of play, you know, they would be really upset if England didn't show up in that game. And I think they want to blame the manager. But one thing I've seen across the recent years is that there are certain teams and players who arrive in big moments and they want to play well, but they can't because they don't know how to play well in that, in that time. You know, that's what we saw with England in the Euros final last summer. And for as good as they were in terms of getting there and taking the lead, once they had the lead, they didn't know how to manage it. Mm -hmm. So I think for this game here against the French side who have won it before, I think they're going to need to know how to manage that situation. Should they take the lead or not panic? Should they go behind? So I think it, it will be perceived as a failure if they don't play the right way. But if they go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the French side and they end up losing, I think the nation overall will be proud and they'll take a positive away from it that, you know, the future is bright for the nation. You mentioned the doubts about Southgate. Are there any doubts about Deschamps in France? 
Yes, in the sense that this could be his last tournament and we don't really know what happens next and we discussed that yeah. the other day together. It, it was, which is a bit of a... This is not... I don't think this is where Deschamps wants to be. He likes when everything is planned and he knows where he's going to be in two weeks' time or three weeks' time. Now he doesn't know, which could work in his favour because he could say, OK, this is, this is my last competition and we want to finish on a high and the players can give that to him. That sort of things. There, there's, there's always, there were always doubts, even when they won it four years ago because they were not playing nice football enough mm -hmm. because of all the talent that he had. Now people are saying that he relies too much on Kylian, all that kind of stuff. So he knows that, but he's, he's used to it. He's, he's strong enough to be able to cope with it and don't feel that kind of pressure. And, and he knows that it will be over after the World Cup if they lose to England, for example, because right. the objective set by the federation before we came here was a semi-final at the minimum, at least. Even with all the injuries? Even with all the injuries. And that was, I mean, mind you, that was before we lost Benzema. But it will still be the same objective now, and especially when you're already in the quarterfinals. So he will see this as like, okay, the objective is to go all the way anyway. So if I don't if I don't beat England, then then I would have my fracaso is there. I would have yeah. failed. We, we mentioned it on this show, but I think we botched it. What's the French word for fracaso? Felit. Surely you would remember. I, I know, but I yes, want to hear you pronounce you it because I botched oh, okay. it. I botched the pronunciation. So you've got échec uh -huh. and échec, like the chess game échec, or faillite. Faillite more than fracaso. Yeah. Okay. Faillite. So it would be a faillite if yeah, they go out here, yeah, like I a big faillite. So. I think so. Uh, let's get some predictions. What do you think? I said one nil to England yesterday on the show with Nadem. I would. He's lost I, his mind. That's by the, the way. emotional hedge yeah, for yeah, sure. Hundred percent. Listen. <laughs> Why? Why? No, I, I, listen, I'm worried. I'm really worried okay. by this England side. I have to be honest. I'm worried about Kane. I'm worried about Saka and Foden. I'm worried about the Serbs, especially more than anything else. Because if he brings Rashford after an hour, he's turning his back or Grealish or Madison. Or he's got all those options. And I don't, I don't like Southgate. I don't think he's good. I don't trust him. But still, if you throw all those players in, they might do something special. So I'm a bit worried. I've, I've got trust in my boys, but mm -hmm. I'm a bit worried. That's why... I think a one nil England win is not is not a bad shot at all. Nadam? Yeah, I, I I hate doing predictions because I always end up being wrong. Because <laughs> I go for something that I actually believe will happen and I want to happen. You know, I went I went I felt like I went quite big on the USA. Yeah, you I did. fully yeah, believed you did. it. Yeah, you did. You That's did. the literal definition of you drinking did. the Kool-Aid. I was like, no, this is it, they've got it. But in this game, um I liked what I saw from England after they sort of changed their tactical approach yesterday in the game against Senegal. So hopefully if they're focused, they're ready, they look at better side than say they have done in the previous two tournaments in terms of managing the moment so I'm going to lean that way and I'm going to say England are going to win but I'm not going to go for the chuck and guarantee it mm. I'm just going to say I think England are <laughs> <win. laughs> uh, Alright, very serious footballing discussion here Yes. Let's talk about some memes Okay, okay. We got Because for I don't know if you guys know, these guys are always on ESPN FC it's for a much older audience right? Uh, I think, what? I think mainly you see that with the host Dan Thomas, of course much older than the host here on this show. Oh. So we're doing World Cup memes. How big is this in France right now? Massive. That photo went viral everywhere. Literally memes on Barry. Uh, the loving. Let's not forget that before the Euros. <laughs> before Perk's the Euros, favorite movie, The Notebook. Ago, they were hating each other movies. because he always really? said, yeah, she always said, when oh, I make yeah. the runs, the ball doesn't come and he didn't name Killian, but everybody knew he was talking about Killian. Actually, Killian wanted that ball back. He was trying to get that ball back. Yeah, and It was yeah. you who it just was... said, no, I'm taking it myself. And, and now they, they love each other. The notebook is a good one. <laughs> Nadam, this, this is probably big back home. <laughs> it's very, very big, yeah. Because oh, he's trying to recruit him to go to Liverpool as well. But yeah, oh, the one underneath, that is. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good perspective. And I think Jordan's maybe a little better looking than that, but we'll see. <laughs> Jordan Henderson, Jude Bellingham there as uh, England won 3-0 over Senegal. All right, we got some uh, transfer news here, potential transfer news. Cristiano Ronaldo, there are reports he's close to joining Saudi club Al Nasser next year on a two-year deal, guys, worth Get this, 200 million euros per season. If this does come to pass, is it a disappointing end to an amazing club career? 100%. I don't understand this. I have to say it can't be about the money because the guy has earned a billion already. That's half a billion right there. I know, but why are you going? So you're going for half a billion? Well, that's this the only is reason This go. is where he's gone now. That, this is where he is now? Really? This is where his Especially career with is? All the all the sponsorships and everything, like, Beyond the football, he's made he tons, is a right? This he's is a purist at heart. Yeah, yeah, right? This is why I don't, uh, it really winds me up, by the way, that he's going <laughs> yeah, to go there. Yeah, he's a purist. I just don't understand. Guy. I don't understand it. Next thing he will tell, uh, yeah, I want to win the Asian Champions League because so I, I can be the first one to win the Asian Champions League and the normal Champions League and, and maybe then he can win the, uh, the CONCACAF one. I, I just don't get it. But what is there not to understand? You said he a billion dollars in his career. That's 
half of what he's earned in his okay. career for two he's and a half seasons. He's 38 in February, right? Right. When you were 30, well, okay. I'm 38 right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys. When you're 30, what are you doing with your life? Okay. In the last month of your career, right. you wanted to enjoy your football, right? Right. He's not. He's not going to enjoy the Saudi mm. League. I, I can tell you right now. Where would he go that he'd enjoy though? But go back to Sporting. Say to Sporting. We. That's what most players do. Like I took a pay cut to come back to the Major League, exactly. Major League Soccer to in my career. Like, that's what. That's what most players do. But most don't have that option where you get paid more than you've ever been paid. And we're know, and it's very easy to say, well, he's got enough money. The sporting wants him. Yeah, it's another thing. We heard Ruben Amorim after the, the Tottenham game when he said like, we couldn't afford him, mm. which I think meant like, we would have taken him, but not, not, at, the, not you, at the price. Do you not think he could be making an excuse there, though? Because surely most of these big teams are trying to build projects that last for longer than two years. No, it's also just course. a report. This it. isn't official. So we, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, part of me feels, you, you know that Apple just purchased the Major League Soccer broadcast rights, mm -hmm. and Apple needs to go in. Major League Soccer needs to go in big for a yeah. superstar next season. There's talks about Lionel Messi. I honestly feel like he's bargaining right here. He, he is using leverage right here mm. for something like that or somewhere else. Because if you got that in your back pocket, you say, hey, I want something big. I could change the game for you. Mm. 200 million a season it's for two and a half seasons. That's half a billion dollars. No, no, I know. Is, 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 seeing Ronaldo in Minnesota then, yes. Yeah, <laughs> now you know exactly where he'd go. <laughs> is, it, is it crazy to suggest this? But I feel like even we saw it in the last transfer window, it's down even as great a player as he is, to a lack of options. Like, if he goes to Saudi Arabia, it's because nobody else wants him. And that's where I get. I think we feel kind of disappointed and sad that you could have this great career and there's there's nowhere for you to play yeah. other than Saudi Arabia. No, the, there will be somewhere that you can play, but it is essentially a white elephant now. For the amount of money it will probably take mm. for him that's to come to your club. You see what he's doing right there. Nobody yeah. wants him. No, no, no. Yeah, well, no. Nobody wants him at the rate he e wants. Exactly. Yeah. And then to make it worse, if you do have this war chest of money, do you want to give all that to a 38-year-old? If you're literally trying to build success for your club long term, mm -hmm. whether it's Ronaldo or somebody else, buying somebody at that age and spending that money financially doesn't add up. So it's, a, it's unfortunate for him because he's as good as he is, but this is the situation he's in right now. It's got nothing to do, in my opinion, between what happened at Man United in terms of how he left. It's just literally, you look at the stats, it's a 38-year-old guy that costs this amount of money. Can you afford to bring him to your football club financially and just from a thought ex uh, standpoint, well, the answer is probably going to be no. Yeah. For me, it's just very clear the difference between Messi and Ronaldo, right? Messi, if he does end up in Miami, that's where he wants to be. That's like him choosing. It sounds here like maybe Ronaldo doesn't have the options. Those guys would never fit in our pickup game. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I tell you that much. Yeah, I, 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 I understand we have some video. Uh -oh. of, I don't know if it's El Trashico 1.0 or El Trashico <laughs> uh, 2.0, but I've had the privilege to play with both uh, Jules and Nadem. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, other than the heat. It's the original. It's the original. Are you talking? Are you talking? This is just a warm up. I think I think the first thing we need to point out is my three quarters pants. Yeah. You weren't a big fan of those. Yeah. Oh, hey. oh, oh, no. oh, don't, don't miss. Oh, no. Oh, that left foot. Oh, no. that left foot is oh, wrong. No. I was just getting warm. I was just getting warm. Let's not worry about that. Adam, can we, how would you describe Jules? Uh, oh, Jules, what a finish. The ball was behind me. The ball was behind That was a ball for me, by yeah. the way. Wait, Same for Mike Rodriguez. Which one of you two is a trash talker? It's, oh. it's him. It's him. He was, he was getting angry with me the other day in the game we were playing against each other. I was thinking, my guy, just settle down. Just settle down. No. Look at the body. Oh, I don't know why we kept uh -huh. that. There's no such. There's no such. By matches. the way, you guys are crazy. It's like a hundred and something degrees in the morning. Yeah, you know. <laughs> what are you this doing? Is, this is just what we do. It's what we do. But it's good fun. <laughs> it played, was good fun. Yeah, played Who a few won times. Again? Oh, our team won. That's right. Yeah, oh, brother. That's fine. Maybe you can have a career. Was Herc? Was Herc? No, maybe you can have a career. There's still time. You, uh, got, you guys are enjoying yourself. I was working, man. Oh, you were working? Sorry, sorry. You were sleeping more like. Yeah. Nadam, how would you describe my game? <laughs> um, in fairness, as the quality of opposition rose, I think you got better. He was impressed by you against the Swiss because we yeah. also played against a Swiss journalist and Johan Giroud, the former Arsenal. And there were a few yeah. ex-players in there. And to be fair, Sebi Fitton, he was good. Did he? Can, yeah. can I just tell you, Seb, anytime anybody says in fairness. I know. That was a big caveat there. It is true. Seb, Sebi was good. It's just, it's just weird. I'd, when he was walking up, I was thinking, I wonder what they'll think about us. You know, I look how I look. I look at him. It's because he had the three-quarter like, short trouser things on. And I thought, they, they must think he's a referee. Like, <laughs> oh, my God.
but because you told him about that, you know they didn't look good, he changed just before. So I did. I played in shorts. Hey, but then he looked good and he played well. I, yeah, I, I've only seen Sebi play once, and it was very small-sighted. What What are Sebi's traits? He's a good organizer. Okay. He tries to make good movements. Understands the right. <laughs> he tries to make good Understands movements. the right times to go to the right sort of areas. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say he's physically them really there as a. Hold up! Really? You, I wasn't the only one that was getting bodied really? by Nathan <laughs> yesterday. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in he, fairness, he likes to foul a lot. To be he, fair. But, but in fairness, he's good. He's a good team player. He's good, good finisher player. as well. He had some good uh, okay. finishing. He missed a couple of boys. Yeah, yeah, you, you've ones. played with the majority of the guys at ESPN. Who, uh -huh. Who's the best? Of the pl I mean, Natums, obviously, we, we take him out, right? Who, who's the best? Jules. No, 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 no. Everybody, ex players involved. Who's the, who's the best one you've played with? Natum. Natum. Come on. Like, ah, he's loving that. Can you look at the camera for Ali Moreno? Because he's going to hate you. Ali already hates me. It's me. Easily me. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for the time. Really appreciate Thank it. Great you. to have you Pleasure. here with us on uh, Football Americas. Enjoy those scarves. Here's a uh, statistical representation of Cristiano Ronaldo's decline over the last few years uh, as we take a look at the numbers there for CR7. What will be next for surely a player many consider among the greatest of all time? Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We'll see what's next for him, what's next for us here on Football Americas. Here's a check-in on today's action. We'll start with Brazil and South Korea. Went down at Stadium 974. Uh, this one, Herc, over before it began, you might say. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I may have streamed it uh, in some sort of unsavory way on my walk over here. Uh -huh. And I was watching, and it was 2-0, and they were balling. Joga Bonito is yes. back. Richarlison, which would, we could easily say are probably... Two of the goals of the tournament, top two yes. goals for my money, uh, off of his name. Neymar, any uh, fitness doubts you may have had? They're gone. They're gone. So uh, Vinny Jr. scored the first in the seventh minute. The aforementioned Neymar scoring from the penalty spot in the 13th. Richarlison finishing off a golazo right before the half hour mark. And Lucas Paqueta then scoring in the 35th minute as Brazil went up 4-0. Park the number eight for Korea scoring a late goal, 76th minute, uh, as that game ends 4-1. Yesterday... And I got to see him live. I said, boy, France is the best I've seen yet. Did Brazil surpass them for you tonight? Yes. Really? Yeah. So Chiche is so good at the way he organizes his team. Everybody sees this offensive flair. They see Neymar. They see Vinny Jr. They see Rafinha. You know, they see any player that can come off the bench. And you're thinking... Joga Bonito, offensive flair. Mm -hmm. You're thinking that this is what they do. They're going to overwhelm you offensively, but they're so good in the back. They are so good in the center of the midfield, Casemiro. The way they defend, it's a defend-first mentality for Brazil, and teams like that go far mm. in World Cups, go far in tournament settings. I, I don't even think they've scratched the surface. How much of this was down to the competition? That's a lot. I, I think if we, if we talk about the teams that did advance to the round of 16, you would consider South Korea not just one of the weaker sides, but also one of the teams that has shown us the least to get through. And, and probably fortunate to be in the right. second round because of the way they went on. Them and Poland feels yep. a, very similar. Well, no, uh, 
Yes, but Poland, yes, very similar. But I think South Korea is showing me a lot more than Poland. Okay. What I'm telling you is their fortunes changed in a, matter, in a matter of minutes. I mean, it's literally they're playing against a Portuguese team that had nothing to play for. They were already into the second round. It's a late set piece, literally yeah. last play of the game type deal. It's Sung versus eight Portuguese players, slips the ball, uh, makes one player, great through ball, goal, and everything changes. It's Uruguay out, right? Yep. It's South Korea in. And it's a team that's already depleted, a team that's already at half gas, um, that maybe felt fortunate enough to be there against one of the tournament favorites, and easily, for my money, the best team in the world. So in this game, we see Neymar's return. He missed the second and third game after coming off injured in the first. Was he the difference? Is, are you putting down no. the fact that we saw Brazil go from group phase Brazil to knockout round Brazil just down to Neymar? No. I, listen, Brazil's group wasn't easy. Right. You talk about France, and you didn't say, hey, uh, what about their opponents? with France, mm -hmm. right? I, I was the one that mentioned well, it. Well, I'm speaking of the opponents, I'm specifically talking about South Korea today. No, yeah. fair, fair. But what I'm talking about when you talk favorites is like, nobody's really brought up the fact that France has played Australia, right? Mm -hmm. France has played a, a, a very poor Denmark, Tunisia, Denmark team. Yep. And then Tunisia. So, And then in the second round, Poland. Yep. Uh, you have to respect Brazil. You have to respect them for the history. You have to respect them for the way they went through World Cup qualifiers. You have to respect them for that ridiculous uh, amount of games they have undefeated with Casemiro in that lineup. They're a very good team, very well-coached team, organized, and they've got world-class players. Yesterday, you and I had the discussion about can the U.S. ever win a World Cup, right? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> name, me a, name me a team that's won a World Cup without world-class players. I can't. You, yeah, you of course. Can't. You can't. Yeah. And, and Brazil has, they check off every single box you can think of of why they should win a World Cup. So I was at their first game against Serbia. We were there together. Yes. <laughs> it feels like three months ago. <laughs> I don't even remember who was there. Um, and Neymar didn't shine in that game. He was Bra bad. You would say you would go that. So to me, it's like he's definitely not the reason right. that they peaked today. Yeah. Let's say, and I'm not kind of just speculating out of turn here. I feel like his his health is always an issue, right? It's always in question. One, I think there's there's. It's fair to say he's a bit fragile. He's also targeted a lot, right? He draws a lot sure. of fouls. If for some reason he were to miss a critical game, would you bank on Brazil to do it without him? Ooh, I think I'd still. It depends who they're playing. Of course, but I think I'd still be. But you know, from now on, it's going to be a tough matchup, right? Sure. Uh, Croatia is not going to be an easy team. Mm -hmm. they, they've proved. And then it would be potentially Argentina and then or it Netherlands. Would be potentially yeah. Argentina, which would be a grudge match for them. That'd mm -hmm. be a very difficult game, very physical game. Um, also, uh, Mauricio Mai gave us a stat yesterday on ESPN Deportes. Um, Neymar has missed over 200 days with ankle issues throughout his career. Mm. That's an ankle issue he's got currently right now. Um, I'm sure within those 200 days, Brazil has needed to fare without him. I'm fairly confident because of their approach and the way they play that they can get, get by without him. But Neymar, when he's running at an optimal level, is easily, for my money, one of the best players in the world. Maybe the best player in this tournament. I know Kylian Mbappe, everybody's high on him right now, and I love him as well. But Neymar is a different level of player than we're used to seeing. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, let's get to the earlier game from today. Japan against Croatia in the round of 16. This one going down at Al Janoub Stadium. Not nearly as exciting, I, I think it's safe to say, at least overall. First half was pretty good uh, as Brazil, as Brazil's game against South Korea. Daisen Maeda opened the scoring for Japan in the 43rd minute. Ivan Perisic leveling in the 55th. It went to penalties, and from there, Dominik Levakovic, the 27-year-old, riding himself into Croatian footballing folklore as Croatia takes the penalty shootout 3-1, advancing to the quarterfinals. Her Croatia advance, but they don't win. Are you buying them as a threat to advance deeper in this tournament, a la 2018, when they reached the final? You know, I, I thought they would be physically overmatched already 
versus a pair of teams. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought Canada would physically overmatch them was not the case. Um, Canada had their own issues of being physically overmatched versus Croatia. I thought Japan would overwhelm them with that press. And early on in this game, they were doing that. Uh, Leibakovic comes up big in the penalty kicks. It's 120 minutes more for this team. Mm. I Good think, point. I, I think it's going to be very difficult against a Brazil team that was at half gas come the second half of this game, who also had the luxury of resting players versus Cameroon. They made nine changes versus Cameroon. They made changes in the second half of this game. Dani Alves comes on again. This is a Brazilian team that's not only full of confidence, but also well-rested versus a very depleted Croatian team that had a lot of fight in them. And that fight uh, took a lot of that tank they did a lot more than I thought they would do against Japan, to be quite yeah. honest. And they really overperformed how I thought they would do in this group phase. But I can't see them weathering that Brazilian storm. I agree with you. I think they're good. Very good. Because they, they get past the teams they're supposed to get past, you right. might say. But when they hit that elite level, and I think you could say they came out of the weaker side of the bracket in 2018. Sure. If we go back to the Euros, when they had to go up against Spain, you know, we saw them kind of hit their level. And then I think as you point out, what's coming next is a level that they have not yeah. seen. And I think that's where they, Luka they probably Modric, get Luka arguably the most important player, is 37 years old. And minute 98, he comes out. So you have to wonder where they're at physically. And I just don't think that if it's a matchup versus Brazil, they have physically what it takes. All right, let's take a look then uh, at the updated bracket as now six of the eight quarter finalists are set. We got two more round of 16 games to go tomorrow. Of course, uh, Netherlands over the United States, Argentina over Australia. So Netherlands, Argentina on Friday. Oh, that should be a good one. Uh, also on Friday, Croatia against Brazil. There you see it. According to the SPI, Brazil are big-time favorites. All right, uh, Football Americas will continue tomorrow. As you see right there, Rodrigo Faez, our good friend from ESPN Deportes, will join the show. We will be breaking down Spain against Morocco, Morocco. Uh, as well as the uh, the other quarterfinal. Morocco. Portugal-Switzerland, uh, other round of 16 match, as we get set to lock in all eight of the quarterfinalists here at the 2022 World Cup. For Hercules Gomez, producer Betao, the team in LA and Bristol and beyond, I'm Seb, thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow on ESPN+. Plus. Shout out Buzz Lightyear.